Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're Out to Lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The country these days seems increasingly divided into two groups, those who look to government for all the answers and those who believe the private sector can solve just about anything. But neither is able to address the many complex problems facing our communities, which is where the nonprofit sector comes in. Perhaps at no time has the need for nonprofit organizations that help vulnerable and underserved populations been greater than it is today, and more people rely on them as they face ever greater challenges. With me today to discuss this is George Bell, president and CEO of the Capital Area United Way, which serves 10 parishes through programs focused specifically on early childhood education, income stability, health, and basic needs. George joined the agency in 2016 and was almost immediately impacted by the historic August 2016 floods, which devastated the region the United Way responded, eventually distributing more than $1.1 million in aid to local organizations. George has also steered the organization through the COVID-19 pandemic. George is a retired healthcare executive, originally from Thibodeau, who took over at the agency after a 30-year career in healthcare management with private physician practices and also with the Baton Rouge General. He is also a community volunteer and a trumpet player, performing at his church, local schools, and even the Manship Theater. George, it's nice to finally have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Stephanie, and thank you for that warm introduction. With me and George is Vicki Ellis, the founder and executive director of Heritage Ranch, a Christian children's home located on a sprawling 53-acre campus in Zachary outside of Baton Rouge that provides residential care, counseling, and educational and emotional support to boys between the ages of 10 and 18. Vicki founded Heritage Ranch in 2004. Initially, it provided its programming through the school systems in outreach programs in East Baton Rouge and West. Feliciana parishes. Then in 2015, she opened the residential facility in Zachary, which is staffed by teams of husbands and wives who model parenting for the at-risk students and help them improve peer communications and relationships while providing life skills training and academic remediation. Vicki does all this while also raising five children of her own. And she has quite a story. Vicki, thank you so much for joining us on Out to Lunch. Absolutely, thank you so much. We appreciate the opportunity to be here. No, and I love talking about the nonprofit sector because, I mean, organizations like yours and like the Capital Area United Way that supports so many nonprofit partner organizations are so, so important. George, tell us, like, sort of what is the status of the Capital Area United Way at the moment, especially coming out of this year plus of, of COVID-19? What happened to giving? Um, how, how strong is the nonprofit sector in Baton Rouge right now? Well, first I'll say that uh, it's not an easy question to answer because on one uh, account, uh, the challenges of 2020 and its impact on the um, 
uh, especially our type of fundraising, uh, has been under uh, ex- extreme uh, uh, stress and, yeah. and uh, challenge. Uh, primarily because most of our fundraising comes from the uh, uh, corporate world and um, uh, corporate donations uh, have been impacted because companies uh, for most of 2020 were not uh, even uh, operating at full capacity. Uh, Many of them were not uh, allowing uh, folks to come in uh, and and provide any kinds of, uh, uh, you know, presentations, things like that. But the other uh, issue is the because of the, the restrictions, COVID restrictions, a number of the events that we normally rely on wow. uh, were, were either canceled or uh, had to be modified to uh, become virtual events. So that, that played a, a, a big, uh, had a big toll on our fundraising efforts. Now, that said... Uh, we were one of uh, 384 organizations that received a McKinsey Scott gift uh, in December of uh, 2020. And that really just was a game changer for us in that it created a, a windfall of, of uh, revenue that uh, will, will allow us to invest uh, heavily over the next three years. Fantastic. So, yeah. And how much did she give? Our organization away? received $5 million. Wow, that's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. Because if United Way doesn't have money, then United Way can't help give out money to exactly. all of the organizations in Baton Rouge. Now, one wonderful nonprofit organization in Baton Rouge is Heritage Ranch. And Vicki, you all are filling you know, such a, a unique niche and in such a unique but I think really impactful way. And you have a story of, of why you founded Heritage Ranch. Yes. Um, So when I was young, I was uh, sexually abused by my grandfather. Uh, My parents didn't have any knowledge that that was going on. And and honestly, I didn't really start to deal with the trauma and the memories of that until I was in my mid-teen years. Um, I still remember just from 11 to 14, all the, not just anger, but just feeling lost and really starting to question uh, where my worth was. And um, when I was that age, I, I babysat a lot. And we stopped during the summer while I was babysitting with a family at a children's home in Tennessee and um, they were just in the founding phase. And I remember at 14, just really listening to the founder talk about this children's home that was gonna serve kids in crisis and talking about these kids that were gonna come to that home that didn't have family support and counseling support. Um, For me, I know the reason that I got through what I got through was because of really unlimited resources and a family that fully supported me and engaged in the process. So I still remember at 14 thinking, how would I have made it? How would I have gotten through that crisis if I didn't have that support? And so years later, I went back after my freshman year at LSU and actually interned in the girls' home. And sitting there, listening to their stories, um, going through that trauma and that crisis with them, I saw firsthand the impact the husband and wife couple, the extra educational support and the counseling services could make. And so that began the journey of getting to where we are now, which is founding a children's home that, as you said, is really very intensive in the work that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, We work intensively with the family, the siblings, uh, academic support and counseling for all of our boys that are going through some sort of crisis or trauma. And they come to us at a point where they're on a path that could lead towards suicide detention and or other and we're you know kind of this crossroads for them to restore 
um, their family and get back on a track towards success. And, and how do you all decide who, who gets in? Because you really don't have that much space, right? No, right now we have one home and we're actually in the process of doing a strategic plan to look at what is what is the next phase of expansion going to look like. Um, but we get calls. I'd say sometimes we get one a week. Sometimes it's, you know, two to three. It depends on the, the time. Um, we do an interview process and the biggest determining factor on who we can serve is how the family will engage because what we recognize is with the intensive level of support these boys are going to need and they go home every other weekend it's is the family willing to come in and work through this process they have to participate in parent support groups family counseling bring the siblings and so really it's the population that we can serve where the family will fully engage with the process so that we know that the transition yeah. is going to uh, impact when they get back home. And Heritage Ranch is an example of one of these really great nonprofits that's serving such a need. George, how does Capillary United Way decide which agencies it's going to support? For, for you know, for like, because I know it went through a process several years ago, and you can't be impactful everywhere. You have to pick right. and choose, right? Right. Well, first we uh, engage the community in a series of discussions called uh, community conversations, and that information uh, gives us the direction we need as to uh, what the community would like to see us address. Uh, when I came in. Uh, 2016, we interviewed over 750 community stakeholders. Um, so that process then yields a set of focus areas as well as strategies that we focus on. And then that information is used to go back out to the uh, nonprofit community and request uh, in, in a form of a request for proposals to address those things. Uh, the decisions about which organizations are funded and to what level are done uh, by volunteers. We engage volunteers in a process uh, to help us sort that out. And, uh, uh, and that's the uniqueness of United Way. Uh, I think our ability to engage stakeholders in the uh, vetting process and the decision-making process is what kind of keeps us grounded and keeps us focused on the things that are uh, top of mind uh, for our communities. Uh, now, as we get ready to go into our next three-year funding cycle, we have modified that process a little. What we learned over the, the, the previous two cycles, three-year funding cycles, is that um, to engage volunteers to that level is a lot of work. Yeah, so we have uh, created a, a step where our staff are able to do the initial uh, screen, and they're uh, uh, they're trained. They're they're very uh, capable of going in and looking at where the the specific um, areas of uh, uh, interest are, and then they're able to take that uh, I guess scrubbed list of uh, 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 applications to a group of volunteers who then are able to make a more informed decision and don't have to get as bogged down in, into uh, separating a lot of the, the ones that didn't quite make the So the interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and the focus areas that, that United Way sort of concentrates on, early childhood education, income stability, health, and basic needs. Of course, that covers a lot. It does. It <laughs> does. Just it, about everything but the arts, maybe. Right, right. And, and uh, but again, that's what the, the feedback from community uh, provides us. And uh, under each category or each focus area, there are specific strategies that we, we uh, engage. So um, it's, it's been a good process. Um, I just, 
there, there are some areas where we have not been able to find nonprofits that are able to step in, like transportation. Transportation is one has been one area that has come up often, but we haven't quite figured out how how to fund that or support that through nonprofit measures. But it, it's it's coming up again this with this cycle. So we're we're going to try and be creative and. Wow. It, it's hard to do everything and address so many needs. Vicki, tell us a little bit about more how the, how the ranch works. And, and I'm fascinated by this husband and wife model. It takes, it takes a lot to recruit a couple to, to live yes. and work with these boys. How many couples do you have and does each have one child assigned to? Yeah, so we uh, right now we have um, a home with a husband and wife couple and they work with six boys in the home. Okay. And the reason that we have six boys in the home is really because you can imagine the intensity of their level of need when they come in. Because, I mean, our boys are dealing with usually depression, anxiety, behavioral acting out, anger issues, and so forth. And so um, the reason that we have that model is that we want to create a family environment. We don't want them to come into an environment that is institutional. And right. so they live in the home, and it mimics a, a natural home environment as much as possible. Uh, they have their own room. They've got a, a board behind their bed where they tack up pictures of their family and personalize their bedside and, and make it their own. Um, they have chores that they do in the house, learn to do their laundry. Um, um, and they do outings, you know, going to the zoo or going to the movies. And so um, some of that can be prohibitive depending on where the boys are in their therapeutic process and how well they can manage that. But over time, what we're trying to create is a family environment. And we want them to see um, the communication and the model of the family in the home. And for the boys, um, the other boys in the home really teach them so much about how to manage sibling dynamics a lot of our boys, if they're only children, that also really teaches them how are they gonna deal with the kids that they have to engage with in school and in a social environment. For a lot of our boys, we, we've had kids that are on the autism spectrum that are having um, issues at school with either bullying or social engagement. And so one of their biggest challenges is how do they manage their emotions, their feelings, and their anger. Yeah. And so that, that family model mm -hmm. is hugely critical. Um, we find that we have a lot of our boys that come with an absent father. Mm -hmm. And so them being able to see that model of a father that can really teach them what is it going to look like what should it look like for them as they mature into being a young man and a father themselves in the future is a really big deal for us and they go to school during the day like the school bus comes to the ranch well our, our boys you're... used to be at in the the public school system and um, what we found was that the intensive level of therapeutic need that they had was getting in the way of them um, thriving academically um, we do have some boys that come in that are actually academically very efficient, but for the most part, a lot of our boys are academically far behind. Um, we had a student last year that came in and he had failed the year before. Uh, we are able to really personalize their academic engagement in a, in a partnership with University View Academy. So University View is an online public charter school. Right, it's statewide. Right. They provide all the services them, yeah. of, uh, of a regular school system. And so what we did is we converted a house on the ranch campus into the school. We have a full-time education coordinator that mimics the school environment. They wear uniforms, they have PE. But the great thing is, is that we can personalize academics and we can also work with their therapeutic needs. Uh, last year, one of our kids who was on the autism spectrum, I mean, when he first started coming, he might have three to four meltdowns a day and had been suspended from his prior school. But because we're equipped to therapeutically do that, we can go without him getting into a suspended or expulsion state 
while the situation stabilizes. And so then our kids academically are showing huge gains. That young man ended up graduating last year with a 4.0. Wow. And wow. the, the issue That's was never great. the academic capacity. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was the fact that the he was getting suspended and then expelled because of the behavioral and the social engagement. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Vicki Ellis of Heritage Ranch and George Bell of the Capital Area United Way. George. Those kind of stories about, you know, outcomes are anecdotal. But I know that in the nonprofit world, I mean, you have to be very systematic about measuring metrics and mm-hmm. outcomes. And George, I mean, you all look at all that kind of data. I mean, it's, it's more important than ever in the nonprofit world and particularly in the funding community, right? Yeah, especially in a competitive grant making uh, space. Uh, what we have learned, though, over the last five years is that um, there, there are subtle nuances to the process, and we've we've evolved, and we've learned how to incorporate uh, some more um, uh, specific approaches to that, uh, which is one of the reasons we've added the, the staff review uh, component to it, because some of these programs have are, are doing great work, and it doesn't necessarily translate in the form of an application as easily. So we have taken some measures to um, take a deeper dive with folks who understand programs, understand outcomes, and in some ways we're able to help organizations refine their application and their reporting so that they can better position themselves for uh, future funding. That's one of the things I've enjoyed about uh, being at United Way because we were always looking for ways to improve processes. I mean, it comes from my healthcare. Uh, well, that's what background. I wanted to ask yeah. you because, I mean, I know running a healthcare organization would give you a lot of transferable skills, mm-hmm. but one would not necessarily assume that it would be running the capillary United Way. It's not, but but having a large portfolio of nonprofit partners that we work with. Uh, and then having metrics that we review on a regular basis uh, to evaluate their performance fits right in line with, with what I've been trained to do. Uh, Stephanie, I want to make sure I mention a couple of things. Uh, okay. Number one, um, uh, we've been speaking about the, the grant process and the, primarily the program funding, but we have over the last three years especially identified a need for additional funding types. So we've come up with... Uh, what we call project funding, which is not as um, uh, not as complex or complicated as the program funding, the three-year funding uh, that uh, we started out with in 2016. But the the uh, project funding is for a shorter duration of time; it's one year. Uh, the requirements are not as stringent. The application process is is not as stringent, and that really has opened up the playbook for us to do even more. Uh, grants, especially to organizations that didn't quite uh, fit into the three-year funding model. The other thing we added was uh, what we call ALICE grants. Uh, Much of the research that uh, Capital Area United Way has used to determine how and and where we invest is focused on ALICE population. Those are asset-limited, income-constrained, but employed people. Yeah, and, and I know the Alice population is so huge here, and so I do I do want to talk to you about Alice, definitely, sure, sure. next. And Vicki, I don't know, it, I mean, your population, 
are they Alice people, um, or do they come from across the socioeconomic spectrum? And it seems like for the level of services you provide, it would be very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Do they pay tuition to live yeah. at the ranch? It's a great and board? Yeah, great question. Um, it's interesting, uh, actually, over the years to really see the diversity of the clients that we serve, because we have had families that are at a level of income of 10,000 a year up to a family that's making $250,000 a year, but the kid in crisis and the family is struggling in the same way. So one of probably my biggest passions in talking to people is educating them that crisis can affect any person, any family, because I think that there has kind of been a mindset where people say, okay, they, they assume that, um, poverty is going to be the primary Im- impact impacting factor for the for the kids that we serve but these boys are in crisis across every socioeconomic status and um, so there's a huge amount of diversity um, we do have a tuition um, but it is based on um, gross adjusted income so the way that we do that is to make sure that we're not going to prohibit any family that doesn't have the financial capacity by doing it based on income and so therefore we're able to provide services regardless of the socioeconomic status um, and it is it is an expensive um, uh, organization to run because of the intensity of services I mean for anybody who's ever just even had a child or a family that's in counseling a counseling session is a hundred dollars right these boys, for one hour yeah for one yeah. hour one of hour. counseling yeah. right and we have a full-time therapist on staff year-round and so you know when you look at it you recognize that the just the very niche specific intensity of the services that you provide is expensive because they are basically receiving intensive therapy daily they are receiving intensive educational um like, like academic support, support daily and then also you have the staff couple and then the work with the family and so what we recognize is that the work we do um, is really focused around generational impact and so mm-hmm. recognizing that we're going really deep and that we're really investing heavily because what we're trying to do is shift a generational pattern is this within a, the family excuse me i didn't mean to interrupt is this no, a good. model that you you know patterned off of some other schools yes or? ma'am yeah yes okay. so there are um nationally hundreds of children's homes across the u.s um one of the programs that we um really have been mentored by is eagle ranch in georgia and they have 10 homes there they are serving over 50 boys and girls on their campus and are expanding now to provide outpatient services and community counseling services in their community but um we're modeled after them and then other organizations across the country that have seen huge impact because of the intensive therapeutic model coupled with the husband and wife uh, model in the home and the family focus that's great that's so important and george we got to go back to alice because i'm I'm so glad you mentioned that and, mm-hmm. and tell us the acronym again it's asset limited income constrained and employed and the employed part is so important because i think so many people assume that you know poverty is limited to people who don't have jobs but right you all have identified this is the working poor and they're like you know one flat tire or broken car away from losing their job and being back you, know, you, you got it and and stephanie the 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 aha moment for me came when i started looking at uh the the definition of alice and then i reflected on my work at at the hospital and yeah. we had alice employees these, these were people that that cleaned the rooms and did did a lot of work and many of them would would finish their shift at at the hospital and then go work at a hotel or go work at a casino 
because that's what they needed to do to make ends meet. And so I, I really gained an appreciation and understanding for the challenges of Alice. And then we look at how vulnerable they are to uh, the things you mentioned, uh, a, a disruption in pay, a, a, a pandemic. I mean, right. you know, you add a pandemic to that. Uh, but in our region, 49%, over 49% of the uh, population falls in the Alice category. Okay, in in the capital region, so you're saying literally half of the capital region falls exactly. into the Alice population. Exactly. That's the, that's the, and that's from 2018, the most recent report. Now, you factor in a pandemic and what we've gone through the last year, it's probably higher, you know, 60%, 65%. So, those numbers uh, really reflect that there's a lot of folks who uh, need a different kind of assistance. So what we've done is we've tried to make sure that we um, identify programs that are meeting the needs of the working uh, poor, such as our volunteer income tax assistance program. If you can provide free professional tax preparation support to uh, a family, it helps them in a number of ways. Number one, they don't have to pay for that that uh, service. Number two, they are able to more than likely qualify for the earned income tax credit, which, which puts more money in their pocket. And number three, many of these folks fall victim to the types of uh, loans and advances. Of course. Yeah, so yeah. those things help them retain more of their hard-earned money in, in the form of a tax return and it gives them an opportunity to uh, makes make better decisions hopefully about how to use that $2,500 $3,000 return so we try and wrap those services around the tax preparation as well amazing Vicki um, how are you all funded and and is it all grants? I mean, outside of, of whatever tuition your, sure. your clients no, can pay? Sure. No, that's a great question. So we have our tuition that our clients pay. Um, and then in addition to that, we have kind of a myriad of different funding sources. So we have our individual partners that are community members that partner with us through giving. We have corporate partners um, that give for corporate gifts and then also through our events. We have an annual golf tournament in Gala. Um, we also have our foundation um, partners and then we have our church partners. And so we have a myriad of different people through those different um, organizations and funding streams that give towards the ranch program. And um, as we right now are in the process of doing our strategic plan, um, really one of the things we're looking at is how do we create sustainability for our program over time and then also um, really just evaluating the need for prevention and aftercare services for our population. Um, I would say that one of the one of the big things that we do that isn't an official program is that we do a lot of navigation services for families when they call us and so right now what our board is vetting is what is this next three years going to look like for us in terms of you know what the need is for trying to start to not just meet a residential need but then also work with families where we can provide earlier prevention and navigation for families in crisis to to reduce the number that are coming into residential care and so some of those will be earned income opportunities that will help to um, really eliminate kind of some of the intensity of cost for the residential program right. and create more sustainability long term. And that seems to be the way that the non, you know, that the nonprofit world is going. Another trend in in the nonprofit sector, George, and, and you and I have talked about this before, is that, you know, younger people especially want to, you know, 
see a more immediate impact from mm -hmm. from their philanthropic dollar. And mm -hmm. so how has that changed the United Way's workplace giving campaign? People don't want to just give $25 per paycheck to the United Way. They want to give it to Heritage Ranch or to their favorite charity where they feel like it's going to make a difference. How have y'all responded? So the demographic shift has been a major change, not just for our United Way, but for um, all United Ways uh, that have relied so heavily on that uh, that model, that workplace giving model. What it has forced us to do is we've had to, uh, as, as these baby boomers who grew up giving to United Way retire, we've had to engage different strategies to, um, or employ different strategies to engage these, these younger uh, donors. One of the things they really like to do is they like to uh, volunteer. There's a there's, now last year was a bit of a challenge, but but by and large, uh, the younger generation now likes to volunteer, like to to come out to specific activities, events, and be a part of whatever it is they're they're doing. So in that light, we adopted a um, uh, United We Feed approach uh, during the pandemic during the pandemic because we realized a couple couple of things. One. There, the Alice population especially, there was a greater need for access to fresh produce. So we work with our, our uh, some of our partners, we work with different uh, donor groups who identified uh, specific targets who were uh, candidates for uh, receiving these, these uh, uh, food distribution uh, events. And in doing so, we were able to recruit volunteers uh, from companies to participate in it as well as recruit uh, new donors who had never given to United Way. They, wow. they saw this as something that, that really uh, aligned with their, their passion and their interests. So we've just been creative in trying to find where the match is, where the, the you know, matching passion to purpose, and that has really helped uh, build new channels of support for, for us. And clearly, you are very passionate about your purpose, Vicki. What's on the What's on the horizon for Heritage Ranch? Yeah. Um, so um, this year, we have we're excited to be having our first in-person gala again. We made some adjustments due to COVID, not knowing what the situation was going to look like when we started our planning. But we're going to have our gala out at the ranch campus. So it'll just be about 200 people. But we're really excited to use this as an opportunity to get people showcase. to come out and tour the campus see in person because you really it's hard when people hear children's home there's a certain just automatic assumption that there's an institution when they come out and they walk the campus and actually see the residential home you walk into a, a student's room and really see that what is going on in their day-to-day -day life it makes a huge impact so we're really excited about the gala which is going to be in september and then our golf tournament is in october and then the other big initiative this year is just finishing the strategic plan yeah. and really setting a roadmap for the future on how we can expand in a way that's going to be relevant we want to be thinking about what is the children's home model and then the other services around that model what's going to be relevant 30 years from now mm -hmm. and um, you know there's been federal legislation that's uh, coming down through DCFS where they're really focusing so much around changing from just the traditional residential care to really focusing around families yeah. so we feel like we're excited we've got to jump start on that because that's already what we're doing but how can we expand in a way that is really going to to create more prevention and have more impact long -term? that's so great so many well-intended nonprofits don't do the strategic plan early enough 
in the process. And, and so, well, Vicki Ellis and George Bell, you both are leading such important, impactful organizations that are having a meaningful and lasting effect on the lives of so many in the Baton Rouge area and beyond. So thank you so much for all of your good work and for taking time to be with me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been George Bell of the Capital Area United Way and Vicki Ellis of Heritage Ranch. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about the Capital Area United Way and Heritage Ranch by listening to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Today's photos are taken by Chris Trecu. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. Our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 